What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to the return of the TKO Movie Show. My name is Tim, a.k.a. TKO, and I am your returning host. What is happening, everybody? It's been a while. Good to uh, see y'all. Good to hear you. Good to be heard. And uh, a lot of changes have been going on in my life, um, but we are back here to do some shows. You know, I had some free time, so I figured why not jump back on the mic and give you all what you want to hear. Um, this is also kind of the last week to really reflect on the previous year in film. It's, you know, the end of February 2018 is, is well behind us at this point, but it's the week of the Oscars, so I figured it's now or never in terms of doing my sort of review and recap of 2018. So I figured I would try to knock out two podcasts. We'll see where it goes. At the very least, you'll get this one. So I want to do finally my top 50 movies of 2018. And um, I spent a lot of time on this list, so I, I could, at the very least, give it to y'all in audio form. I was just going to you know, put it out on Twitter or something, or maybe Facebook, but uh, I figured I have some free time, haven't podcast in a while, let's knock off the ring rust, if you will, and give y'all what you want to hear. So I'm going to do my top 50 movies of 2018, and maybe if I have time or I feel like doing it, I'm going to do my TKO Awards, which is basically my version of the Oscars, where I give out my best performances, uh, awards, and so on and so forth to kind of coincide with the Oscars, and maybe I'll throw in some Oscar predictions somewhere in there too. Although, with Vegas, I feel like Oscar predictions are fairly pointless because Vegas knows already, and they have betting odds, and you should just go with the favorites because they almost always win. So, if you have an Oscar pool, just fine betting odds. That's that's my advice there. Anyway, let's go into the top 50 movies of 2018. I think I, I calculated that I saw about 58, 59 movies in uh, 2018. Um, so close to 60. I probably could have done a top 60 list, but I mean, there's a few that don't even deserve to be mentioned. And if they're not included on here, you know that they're just not worth it. Maybe I'll recap it at the end. There was a few towards the bottom of the list that honestly probably shouldn't have made any recognizable, you know, uh, recap of the year list in terms of just not really being worth mentioning, but it's top 50. I only saw probably 60 movies, so some of them have to sneak in there. Let's get started. This is probably going to be a long one. Let's start with number 50, and my number 50 movie of 2018 is a little film called Rampage which is a video game adaptation of the game of the same name. Back in the day, old school, um, sort of 2D side-scrolling. Not really a beat-em-up, but it's, uh, you know, you're big monsters, you're a big wolf, you're a big lizard, you're a big gorilla, you're destroying cars, you're destroying buildings, you're, you know, throwing people. It eventually had many, many remakes and continued um, putting out games in that franchise. As, as late as like the Xbox 360 era, I believe. You know, it's a pretty simple concept. You destroy stuff, and there was really no storyline to it whatsoever, other than the fact that the characters had silly names like Lizzie and uh, Ralph and George. So The Rock took this concept with his team, turned it into a movie, and it's um, it's got some heart to it. The Rock's relationship with the gorilla George is, is compelling, at least to a small degree. It's not a terrible movie. It's not a great movie, but it's something that is 
you know, not a total waste of your time. So when it does come on to a, a Netflix or when it comes on the cable channels or the premium cable channels, it's worth a watch. It's, it's a fun time, you know, probably check your brain of the door, but it's, it's not a bad movie. So rampage comes in number 50, number 49 is probably going to be a controversial one, but it is a uh, fairly recent release, at least compared to some of these other ones. And that is Aquaman. Um, I wanted to like this movie. I heard a lot of mixed reviews, so I went in with, you know, kind of a neutral mindset, and it just, it didn't hit for me, you know? I think there is a good movie in there somewhere. If you really, like, squint hard enough, you can see it. But there's just some atrocious writing. Um, Some of the jokes are just, I would say, like, 95% of the jokes completely miss, for me personally. Um, Just some dumb decisions. Like, I think... Black Manta as a character looks visually really cool. I don't think the actor playing him did a very good job, but I think, you know, when he's in his full costume and when he's fighting, he looks badass. But he was almost completely unnecessary in this film. You could have just taken him totally out and really focus on on King Orm and his story. Or if you're going to pigeonhole in um, Black Manta, just don't dive in that deep into his origin. It was just like a waste of time and already a movie that had a lot of fluff to it. I think visually it's very impressive. I think casting-wise it's really well done. Even if you look at the peripheral roles like a Nicole Kidman or um, a Willem Dafoe or Patrick Wilson or any of these other you know sort of side characters. I mean, Patrick Wilson's a pretty big character in it, but you know what I mean. Um, I think Amber Heard was a good choice. I, you know, I like Jason Momoa for the most part. I think some of the times he's a little over the top. He's actually more toned down and more human in this movie than he was in justice league where he's just a total cartoon i liked it for the most part it's it's something that i might you know watch again if it's on tv or whatever but it's not something i'm going to seek out for sure it's got a lot of flaws i wanted to like it more and that's why it comes in at number 49 number 48 is a movie called alpha which i'm sure not a lot of people saw had a very short theatrical run just came out like towards the end of the summertime and was um Overlooked, I think. I, I think it it has some real heartfelt moments. Essentially, it stars Cody Smith McPhee. I always have a hard time saying that. He played uh, Nightcrawler in X Men Apocalypse. He um, is a solid actor. He's you know probably the only one really of note in the film. It's a lot of um, Eastern Europe, not Eastern European, I guess Western European actors, um, and they play like an like a BC era viking culture-esque type of tribe and cody smith mcvee plays this character whose name i don't remember but he goes out into this big hunt his tribe thinks he's dead he ends up kind of surviving barely and and getting attacked by wolves while he's trying to survive one of the wolves he injures and ends up like kind of healing it back to um back to health or 100 percent health if you know what i mean and they kind of have this bond together where they're surviving and they're trying to, you know, find their homes together. And it's, it's a compelling story. Like visually it's very um, interesting. It's got a lot of cool cinematic effects, like the sunsets and the landscapes are really well done and really visually interesting. Um, It's a pretty thin story and it's about a 90 minute movie. There's not a lot of depth to it, but I I think just for the visuals and for the, the simple story involved of, you know, essentially a man and his dog, it uh, is is good for what it is. So that's why it comes in at number 48. Number 47 is actually a movie that I was um, I had hopes for. You know, it's a Disney film. 
and it's called Christopher Robin. It's what I thought was going to be stars Ewan McGregor as a older Christopher Robin. Um, they sort of show you know young Christopher Robin interacting with Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore and that crew, and then he ends up you know getting older, moving to the city, having a family with his wife Haley Atwell, his daughter. He works a lot, you know, trying to make money for his family. Does what he can. He's the you know working class dad, not always around. He ends up sort of running back into these, you know, childhood friends of his and, and Winnie the Pooh and all that uh, Tigger and so on. And I thought it was just going to be more, I don't know, like I thought it would be more for adults in a way because obviously Ewan McGregor is an adult and I thought there'd be more, um, I don't know, just more development and more, I don't know, maybe more adult humor or something because it, it is like, you know, an adult going back and having a nostalgic view of his former childhood. So I thought me as the viewer would, you know, kind of be teleported to his childhood in a way. And I really wasn't like, it's pretty skin deep in that respect. I think it's definitely more for kids. Um, it's got some, obviously some heartfelt moments. I think the visuals and how they do the characters of Winnie the Pooh and company are pretty cool, but it just uh, didn't really connect with me. So that is my number 47. My number 46 is another Dwayne Johnson vehicle. This one is Skyscraper. It's very diehard adjacent, but it is, um, you know, set in, in Japan, I believe. And it's got enough differences to keep it compelling, but not keep it from being um, spectacular. You know, it's, it's, the action is good. The characters are good. Um, Nev Campbell actually has a pretty good performance in it for what it is. She kicks some ass in there. Um, what's his name? Guy that was in that heist movie. I'm blanking on his name. He plays the Rock's former buddy who ends up sort of turning on him and, and letting these terrorists into the skyscraper. And he does a pretty good job for the few scenes that he's in. I'm blanking on his name. I apologize. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun for what it is. I mean, once again, check your brain at the door. Just have some fun with it. And uh, that's what I did, you know, summer release. It it, it accomplished what I think it set out to, uh, probably not box office wise, but in terms of creatively, I think it, it did what it was supposed to do. And it was not going to be any better than what it was, which is like a solid, you know, six and a half, seven out of ten. Check it out if you are into that sort of movie. Speaking of that sort of movie, number 45 is The Meg. Um, a lot of people didn't like it. I had some guilty pleasure fun with it. I can't rank it any higher than this. But, you know, good cast overall. I like Jason Statham. I think Lee Bingbing does a solid job. You know, she brings some heart to the role. Um, the little girl that plays her daughter, I think, is 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 good. Adds some, you know, more heart to the story. Rain Wilson does what he's supposed to do. Um, Ruby Rose also does what she's supposed to do. Just a, you know, solid group of actors all thrown together and, it's a typical, you know, big monster story. And, uh, there's some, there's some humor, definitely some laugh out loud moments. There's some, you know, um, sort of, uh, race against time, sort of heart wrenching kind of stuff where it, you know, the, the terror builds, if you will. And it's, it's goofy. It's definitely goofy. It's not jaws by any means. It's just, um, you know, it's fun. It's fun for what it is. Number 44 is a movie that I actually was hoping that I would like a little bit more, but one that I still came out with and overall enjoyed my time with, and that is Red Sparrow. 
another like early summer release i want to say um jennifer lawrence joel edgerton typical um undercover spy type of thriller i guess you could call it a lot of twists and turns a lot of undercover stuff some uncomfortable imagery but what you would probably expect from a you know russian soviet ops type of story um jennifer lawrence i think does a solid job for what she's given script wise i think there are some moments where it's kind of cringy but overall i think it's um it's pretty gripping storytelling i enjoyed it and it, it just it doesn't get that far because i think it's it's not as memorable as some of the you know some of the higher level sort of uh, jason Bourne type spy movies it's not as action-packed as something like that it just um it's more of like a stephen not stephen king um, Tom Clancy novel sort of interpretation um, just with a female lead and that sort of um, you know mob related spy stuff it, 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 you know if you're into that sort of thing I think you would find enough in here to like but it's certainly not spectacular number 43 sort of falls in that same sort of category it is uh, 12 strong of course being starred by Chris Hemsworth you got Michael Shannon in there you got Travante Rhodes, who does a pretty good job. You got Michael Pena, who's always solid. Pretty interesting cast here. They play a, a a group of soldiers that get sent into Afghanistan, like right after 9/11, and they um, the the portrayal of 9/11 and the attack and the emotion that everyone's feeling from the you know um, the army sort of armed forces side of things, I think, is actually pretty well done. They go in. You know, eventually they're they're working with this sort of uh, undercover former um, terrorist sort of unit, I guess you would call them, and the trust that they have to build between them. Eventually, they have to ride horses because they have no other way of you know um, sort of uh, transporting themselves. And it's you know it's a compelling watch. Um, it's it certainly fell through the cracks, I think, in the theaters. It came out I think in like March or April before all the really big movies came out, maybe even earlier, maybe like a February. So it definitely got lost in the mix, but I think it's it's one of those movies that is kind of forgettable to me. Like, I forget a lot of the details, but it still was one that I left the theater and enjoyed and still look back and like, yeah, that was a good movie. It's not anything I'm going to like go around and tell people like, oh, you guys should really check this out. But I think it's, it's, it's good. It's a well-made film. It's just not... Uh, you know, exceptional. So that's why it's in the forties. This is probably the point of the list where the movies get from being like guilty pleasures and silly and dumb to quality films. I think like this is the point of the list right here. And I've already probably talked for 15 minutes. It's going to be a long show. I'm going to try to speed these up because a lot of these I've already done episodes of the TKO movie show on. So I don't feel the need to really go in uh, that big a detail. All right, number 42, I believe I'm at, is Maze Runner, The Death Cure. I did a whole review on this, so go back in the archives and check that out. Overall, I really like this franchise. This one stuck the landing to a degree. It's just not on the same level as some of these other movies that are coming up. I really liked it for what it was. It just kind of, as I'm listing these movies out, I'm like, yeah, I like this one a little bit better. I like this one a little bit better. It's not an indictment on the movie necessarily. It just isn't um, it's on the same level, you know. It, I think, does 
a good service for the fans of the franchise. If you're not a fan of the franchise, I don't think you're really going to get it. I don't think you're really going to be invested in it. So check out my old review. You'll see all my thoughts on that. That's number 42, Maze Runner, The Death Cure. Number 41. Um, unfortunately, this was pretty high up on my list of most anticipated of the year going into the year. And it falls all the way down to 41, and that is Solo, A Star Wars Story. I like this more than most people. Um, I think a lot of people crapped on it. A lot of people said it was a disappointment, which it was, but I, I had pretty high hopes going in, even with all the director chaos and the switching of Lord and Miller and all that stuff. Um, I liked the movie for what it was. I just think it could have been so much better. There was a lot of choices in there where I'm like, really? I'm like, that's, that's what you're going to go with? I'm almost positive I did an episode on it, so go back in the archives and check it out. Um, but there was, yeah, just some decisions and some of the storyline stuff where I, I just sort of, you know, cocked my eyebrow and just questioned that decision. But for what it is, for what's on screen, I think it feels like Star Wars, some of the, the flight stuff with the Millennium Falcon, some of the interactions like in the, um, the sort of casino, I guess, bar thing with Lando and Han and, and Chewie and the, and the train sequence with Woody Harrelson. Um some of the sequences with, um, while wow, I'm blanking on his name, guy who plays Vision, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, he's great. Um, small role, but I think he does a good job with it. And I, I pretty much like the whole cast. I think they all do a pretty good job. Um, Alden Ehrenreich, I think, is, is very solid. I don't think he exudes Han Solo, but after a few minutes, I, I bought it, and I was fine with his portrayal. Um, so yeah, go back and check out the archives. I'm sure I've talked a whole episode about it in the past. Just, um, didn't hit the mark as much as I would have liked, but still a solid film and one I'll go back to and enjoy. Number 40 is Oceans 8. I definitely did at least a partial episode on this. Really like the cast. I think the the heist itself was a little easy. I think there wasn't any real like obstacles for them to overcome but that's kind of the case with oceans in general. They're all fairly simple plot lines. It's like, okay, I, I want to get this. And it's more about like the setup and the, you know, how everything comes together and the planning and then seeing it actually happen on screen and each person playing their part and doing something subtly that maybe the audience isn't aware of. And then you sort of get the big reveal and it's all part of the plan, blah, blah, blah. Um, great cast, Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Mindy Kaling, Helena Bonham Carter, Rihanna, Sarah Paulson, Aquafina does a good job. Um, probably forgetting somebody, but all the, all the chicks kill it. Good performances, solid film. One, I'm not going to go out and, and add to the collection on Blu-ray, but one that I enjoyed for the time. All right. Number 39 is another movie that I had a little higher hopes for, but just didn't quite hit it as much for me and that is number 39 which is the Incredibles 2 I really was looking forward to this one the first Incredibles is one of my favorite Pixar movies um, right there up with the Toy Story franchise and then it, it takes a big dip after that so it's like in that upper tier and the sequel just it was fine um, I liked it but it wasn't anything where I was, um, you know, came out and just smiling ear to ear and just really enjoying myself like something 
like a Into the Spider-Verse, for instance, it just kind of came and went for me. You know, I just uh, I didn't have as much fun with it as I would have liked. I think there are some really interesting choices in there. Um, I liked how they sort of put Mrs. Incredible at the forefront. I like the villain for the most part. Um, I like the action. I just think it's just not really what I expected overall. And um, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. This time it just didn't uh, it didn't hit the mark with me. You know, maybe it was just like when I saw it, how I was feeling at the time. wasn't really in the mood to see a sort of kids-focused movie. I mean, a lot of people will go out and say like, oh, it's directed at kids and adults, which I get it. And I've heard a lot of people that I really respect and trust that really like this movie, and I'm totally fine with it, but it, I don't know, just didn't hit me as much as I would have liked. So that's why it comes in at 39. Number 38 is The Equalizer 2. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the first one. I liked it. I went back and revisited it before I saw that one. Um, and I actually liked it way more upon rewatch. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. This movie kind of kicks ass. Although in Equalizer 2, even though I think the character's motivation is um, a little more... Seems like it's more respectable in a way than the first one. Like he's got a legitimate revenge plot in terms of, you know, them killing his, his friend and like looking, you know, trying to take these guys out and eventually they involve his neighbor kid who he's gotten pretty close with. I think storyline wise, it's right there with it. I like the inclusion of Pedro Pascal. I think he does a good job. Um, Overall, I liked it's like right on that same level as the first one. I just think the first one had a little more grit and um, I don't know. I think maybe the environment also changed it. The fact that it was like mostly taking place in the city and this one is kind of all over the place. You know, the, the finale on the um, on the island is pretty cool visually for sure with all the rain and the, the waves and everything. So overall, I liked it. Um, once again, not something I'm going to go out and recommend to a million people. That's why it's 38 as opposed to, you know, 28. Um, but I liked it. Good film. 37 is a little movie called Game Night, which I actually watched for a few minutes the other day on TV. Directed, I believe, by uh, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who were connected to the Flash film. I don't know if they still are. Um I don't know if they directed it or wrote it. I didn't write that down. I just wrote down their names because, um, you know, their career is clearly, you know, taking off because of it. So I feel like they deserve a lot of the credit for this one since, you know, Hollywood can kind of tell you when certain people are getting credit for certain things. And um, just with whatever job you're getting next or, or, you know, look at someone like Lee Winnell who um, directed Upgrade, just got the Escape from New York remake, and then he's also doing some other fairly big project that I'm just blanking on, but you can kind of tell when, when dudes move on to bigger and better things when, um, you know, to where to give credit where credit's due. Anyway, cast is really good. Um, I like Rachel McAdams and pretty much everything she does. I think her and Jason Bateman make a, a fun team. All the peripheral characters I think are also really good. It takes some interesting twists, you know, some fun action. It's sort of, um, it definitely like looks lightly on the sort of action comedy and and you know takes the piss out of it for lack of a better term you know takes some some cliches and really like digs into them and, and sort of you know pokes fun at them in a way so I really like that it was very self-aware very funny 
and there was really not that many good comedies this year. So just the fact that it was, you know, a solid, fun family, eh, maybe not family, but um, just a fun comedy that you could see with, you know, your girlfriend, your wife, your best friend, whoever it is fun for everybody. And they'll all find probably something to like about it. Number 36 is Ant-Man and the Wasp. It was on my top 10 most anticipated list. Disappointed me just a, just a touch. Um, just came in under my expectations. But I think my expectations were pretty high. Coming off Infinity War, I thought it would connect a little more with it. It really didn't, aside from the post credit scene. Which is fine, because it's a separate story. I get it. And it's going to play into Avengers Endgame in a way. So I understand. Um... I just think there's a little too much going on. I think there's too many sort of parallel storylines being interweaved into each other. I would have rather them just focus on, on one through line like the first one did and did it well. It was just a, you know, it was it was a simple movie, but there was, you know, still layers to it. But it was simple in its core. This one is just um, kind of all over the place. And I feel like Scott Lang at times isn't even the main character of his own film. You know, it's like, a Wasp film, which is fine. I totally understand. And I totally enjoyed Wasp and Evangeline Lilly's performance and Michael Douglas and all that stuff. But I think um, it didn't totally feel like Ant-Man's story for the whole film like the first one did. And I would have rather them just, you know, clean it up a bit. It was a little messy. So Ant-Man and the Wasp is my choice for number 36. My number 35 is Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Um, Stefano Salima stepping in for Denis Villeneuve, who is my massive shoes to fill. I mean, he is right up there for me in terms of best directors going right now, right up there with Tarantino, right up there with um, Nolan and you know Spielberg, all these guys. I think Denis Villeneuve is, is right there. I think his just, you know, look at Sicario, you look at Arrival, you look at Blade Runner 2049. I mean, just the quality of those films stands right up there, even though it, you know, he doesn't have a huge resume right now. Wait for Dune to come out, whatever his next couple projects are. I think he's going to be in that sphere. All of those movies are on just an A-plus level. And um, just him leaving alone is going to make it for a drop in quality. I think overall they did a fairly good job of keeping his... Um, sort of the life of the film in it and the storyline I found compelling. I thought it was um, a little bit of a departure for Josh Brolin's character. I think they really didn't follow a, a real straight through line from the last movie. I think he's almost an entirely different type of dude in this one um, where he was a little jovial. He was a little fun in the last film and this one, he's just all serious, all business I don't know. I mean, maybe they were trying to say that when he's involved in the, you know, overseas stuff in Iraq, Afghanistan, that he just saw some stuff and that sort of took the, the life out of him, which is totally explainable. I don't know. It just, it didn't feel like a smooth enough transition. And I watched the first Sicario, you know, maybe only a few months before I saw Day of the Soldado. So it was fresh in my mind and he really just didn't, um, I don't know. It didn't seem like the same guy, which bothered me. So that was my only real big criticism. Overall, I liked it. Um, the ending I thought was a little cheesy, but you know you can't fault it too much. Um, Benicio is great. 
I think the um, the feeling of Denis Villeneuve is still there. I think the music is still good. Not as good as it was in the first one, but still good. Um, so yeah, it comes at a 35. I liked it. I'll watch it again, but not something I'm going to own. 34 is uh, Deadpool 2, which was another kind of disappointing movie to me, to be honest. Um, loved the first one. have seen it probably 10 times. I own it. I love it. It's funny. It's um, action-packed. It is a homage to the character. It is a love letter to the character. It is um, just a love story in general. I think it's great. I think the casting is great. I think the... Um, what they did with a small budget is amazing. This one, budget gets increased. We add some more characters. We add some, you know, um, more recognizable faces, I would say, in terms of, you know, characters and actors and stuff. And uh, it just doesn't totally hit the mark for me. Um, didn't have that same heart as the first one. I think killing, uh, spoiler alert, killing Deadpool's girlfriend early on, I think it's kind of silly even though it gets retconned a little bit toward the end in a stupid way. But that was another thing. I think Cable was pretty empty as a character. I would have liked to see more with him and, and really flesh him out more. I think just the overall overall story just doesn't totally click with me. Um, the the kid in it, I think, is fine. Add some you know interesting humor elements. I think Deadpool's humor and his writing is great. But I think some of the other stuff, you know, around him is is pretty silly. Uh, I like the references. I like them making fun of the other superhero movies and everything. It just, I don't know, didn't click with me totally compared to the first one. And that's why it comes in at number 34. Number 33 is a um, fairly recent addition to the list. Saw this at the tail end of the year. And that is Sorry to Bother You. Um, very weird movie. <laughs> I would recommend it to people strictly for the way it just makes a hard left towards the, uh, you know, the two thirds mark of the movie where you think, you know what you're watching. It is a, a weird movie, but you think, you know what it's trying to say. You think, you know what it's, um, you know, the message is getting across. You think, you know where they're going storyline wise. And then it just to you know, takes a total left turn and is so weird and I understand what they're going for. I understand the metaphors. I understand the symbolism. But it is just so bizarre and kind of uncomfortable that I feel like everyone needs to see it just for that. So check it out. I'm not going to spoil it. Sorry to bother you. Uh, Lakeith Stanfeld, or Stanfield is the lead. He's, he's great in it. You got um, Steve Yoon from The Walking Dead. You got... Um, Tessa Thompson is great. In terms of other like notable people, Terry Crews is a small role. Danny Glover is a small role. Army Hammer is in there as a small role. Um, David Cross has a interesting role. That's all I'll say. So check it out. Weird movie, but I think one that um, is is worth watching for sure. Go back and check it out. Sorry to bother you. Comes in number thirty three. My number 32 is a bit of a surprise to people, I'm sure, because it is up there in everyone's favorite of the year list. It's up there for the Oscars and everything else, and that is Roma coming in at number 32. Just watched it fairly recently, but I'm including it on the list because um, I, I really needed to see it. And of course, it's a 2018 movie, even though I saw it in 2019, 
but I have to include it because um, I want to talk about it at least for a second. I think if you're a cinema sort of nerd, then it's worth watching. If you're not, skip it, honestly. Um, I appreciated it. I understood what it was trying to say. I understood um, the story that they, they were trying to get across. I liked a lot of it. And then there was other parts where I thought it was just, you know, being artsy for the sake of artsy. And that kind of stuff kind of bothers me. Um, just like really long, you know, shots where it just was like, okay, we don't need to just see this for however long. And I'm not just talking about the guy coming out of the shower scene. That went on far too long. Well, there's other scenes that it just like will fix in one spot. And we'll just stay there and stay there. And I get it. It's, it's art. This, this film is art. It is art personified, but it doesn't necessarily make it the most enjoyable to watch. And, um, that's why I have it as low as, as I do, because I can appreciate it for what it is. It is just not something that I'm going to go back and ever watch again. It's not going to be something I am going to recommend to people. It's not going to be something that I, let people know is on Netflix. Like, hey, check it out. You should watch it. It's a great film. It is a great film. In the, like the simple sort of breaking down of the art of filmmaking. Like the cinematography is amazing. The acting is really well done. You really do feel like you're watching real people. Um, but overall, like it's just, I don't know. It's just not enjoyable to watch at times. I think the lead is great. I, I didn't write down her name. I should have. I think she's great. It, it really does feel like you're watching like a documentary because it's like you're just following the life of these real people, even though they're they're actors. Um, I think the kids are inconsistent. I mean, it's hard to really criticize kids, but sometimes like just the way they're portrayed, I think is a little inconsistent. Um, they also like half of them look like white kids. Half the people in there look like white people, but maybe that was the point. Because I think it's it's trying to display the, the sort of the the caste system, if you will, of Mexico. You know, people just think of Mexico as like, okay, these are Mexicans, but no, there there are, you know, at this particular time and place, there were like people that were considered lesser than than these like you know richer upper class families. So um, check it out if you're really into like. The art of filmmaking or taking a film class, you want to analyze stuff like that. But I'm not going to recommend it to just the, the casual moviegoer for sure. Number 31 is a very big departure from Roma, and it is a comedy called Blockers, directed by Kay Cannon, um, Ike Barinholtz, Leslie Mann, John Cena are the leads. Um, the three girls in it. Um, I know Catherine Newton is one of them. I didn't write down all their names. Catherine Newton is one of them. She's great. She plays um, Leslie Mann's daughter. Geraldine Viswanathan is uh, Ike Barron. No, excuse me, John Cena's daughter. And then I didn't write down the name of the other one. See if I can pull it up as I'm talking here. But for those that haven't seen it, I this is one that I would recommend to people. Once again, there was just not a lot of good comedies last year. So if you are into comedies, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, it basically is three parents. Their daughters are going to prom. 
they figure out that they're trying to have sex and have like a sex pact with each other. That they're all going to lose their virginities on this night because it's going to be the perfect night to do it. Blah, 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 blah. They all have dates. It's all going to happen. And the parents discover it, try to stop it from happening. And it's just, um, you know, it's like reflection on themselves and they all realize, you know, realize lessons and learn things from each other. But hilarity ensues along the way. It's written very, very well. It's not like a movie that you're going to laugh out loud every five seconds necessarily, but I think it's really well done um, storyline. It's got a lot of heart to it. All the performances are good and um, does have some really funny moments. So check it out if you haven't done so. Um, Gideon Adlin is the name of the other girl. They're all very good. I will say, just as a side, if they decide to do the Kamala Khan Miss Marvel movie, um, Geraldine Viswanathan, Viswanathan is an amazing choice and she should get that role. I don't think there's literally anybody else that you could cast. She is perfect for that role. Anyway, Blockers, check it out. Funny movie. Big time departure from Roma. And actually the next movie that I'm about to talk about. But uh, a fun time at the movies for sure. We are into the top 30 and I've basically talked for about 35 to 40 minutes depending on how many edits i do so we're about where i thought it would be to be honest uh, i'm going to try to speed it up a little bit number 30 is mary queen of scots um, another movie that really flew by the wayside came out towards the end of the year where a lot of films like mary poppins aquaman bumblebee all those movies were coming out and it definitely got lost in the shuffle um, i think saoirse ronan who i'm kind of in love with so i'm a little bit biased her performance in this is Oscar-worthy um, to me. She really carries the whole movie. Um, it, it is a story, a pretty compelling story, I would say. One that I wasn't super familiar with. Um, I was aware of like the, the, the name of Mary Stewart and Elizabeth I, but I wasn't entirely sure of what the story included. And it really fills in um, everything. And I think really it takes you on a ride. Um, if you don't know the story, then you're going to be pretty surprised at where it goes. Where you think it's going one way, it goes another. I actually found the story really compelling. The writing really, really well done. Really, um, really felt like you were in, like, it really felt of the time. Um, I think the, the costumes and the makeup are fantastic. I think the cinematography is really solid. And I think everyone does a pretty good job in the film, um, cast-wise. Margot Robbie plays a big role. Joe Alwyn, who I think is dating Taylor Swift, is pretty good in his role. Um, a lot of the, the names that you're not going to recognize. I think Gemma Chan is in there as one of um, one of Margot Robbie's like uh, sort of um, maids, woman, or whatever, however the hell chamber maids. I don't know what the hell you call them, but. It's a uh, graphic also at times, but it, it is very true to the history. Um, I think they take some liberties. I don't think they actually ever met uh, Mary and Elizabeth. I don't think they ever actually met. They put that in the movie. But for the most part, I think it follows the, the history fairly well as far as I know. And I think it's, it's really good. Um, if you're into those sort of biopic history dramas, check it out. Mary Queen of Scots is my number 30. My number 29 is Creed 2. Um, enjoyed the first Creed. I actually watched it for the first time not that long ago. Um, before I saw this one, obviously. But I, I kind of seeked it, seeked it out, sought it out, sought it out. 
before I saw the second one um, because I heard so many, you know, solid reviews for the second one. So I'm like, all right, I'll finally watch Creed one. Just slipped through the cracks for me. I always wanted to see it. It just kind of, I missed it and then never had the time to really go back and check it out. I had plenty of time. I just didn't commit to it. So I finally committed and I really liked it. I liked it um, a lot more than the second one. The second one, I think, has some real flaws. I think the Drago's stuff, both Drago's, I think is excellent. I think that really carries the movie. I think the smaller stuff between Rocky and Creed and Tessa Thompson is all great. It's just like the boxing stuff really bugs me. Um, As a boxing fan, as an MMA fan, as a sports fan, as someone that really understands the game, there were some things that were just like, I don't understand how any script writer or fact checker like looked at these things and was like, yeah, okay, that's good. Let's just leave it because the boxing stuff just gets like completely thrown out the, like I get it. It's a movie and the Rocky movies were never like well um, positioned in terms of like their boxing purity. You know, they were always pretty over the top and silly this one takes it to a whole new level um, to me. Well, maybe not a whole new level than the original Rocky series because the original Rockies, I still don't have as big of an affinity for them as a lot of people do because they're just so unrealistic and silly in terms of the in-ring stuff. Like, the guys are hitting full haymakers and they're just like, their head's like being pushed back for a second. You know, like some of these shots would like literally kill cattle and they just like, and that's it, you know, like, all right, let's just keep boxing. I just took a, you know, flush haymaker and I didn't even hit a knee. There's a lot of that in this one, but there's also entire weight division differences. Like the, the Drago kid and Creed are at least 40 pounds different. And they're like, yeah, whatever. They're heavyweights. That's not really how it works. Dude, the Drago dude is like 240 and Adonis is like 190. That is absurd. That would never get licensed unless it's like a barroom, bare knuckle MMA organization like Battle of the Barn. Like it, it, it's just not going to happen. So that stuff really takes me out of it. Even though I get it, it's a movie. You can't look too much into it. I just, you, you, you've got to do a better job of explaining why that's the case in the movie itself. Like, explain, like, okay, Creed emptied the light heavyweight division. He has wiped it out. There are no more challengers for him. He needs to move up and wait. Like, that's all you need to do. That five, ten seconds is all you need to do to explain why he's fighting a guy 50 pounds heavier than him. Because it has happened. Roy Jones Jr. moved up, fought guys like James Tony, who were probably maybe not 50 pounds heavier, but around 30, I'm sure. So it has happened in the history of boxing. You just need to explain it. That simple line of dialogue would have fixed it or that little story element or whatever. Or maybe you can have it addressed in the actual script. Like, man, this dude's way bigger than me. Like maybe I should put on weight rock. Yeah. Okay. Let's put on 10 pounds. You know, we can only do so much leading up to the fight in terms of gaining weight, but yeah, maybe we should put on some muscle. Boom, done, fixed. And then my problems with it are essentially over. But I liked it for what it was. I've said that a million times. I apologize. 
My number 28 is a uh, another one that fell under the radar, and that is Bad Times at El Royale. I think a lot of people were hyped when they saw the trailer, and it just didn't do that well at the box office. I, I don't really know why. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. This is one that I actually may add to the collection sooner rather than later. Um, a incredible ensemble cast. Um, I, I can't even begin to list off the people that are in there because I didn't write it down. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get it for you. But the ones that really stuck out to me were Cynthia Irvio, um, who I think, I don't know if had ever been in a film before. I know she was like a Broadway actress at one point. I don't know if this is her film debut, but she crushes it. She's kind of the lead in a way. Um, her and Jeff Bridges, I think, are the main leads. I think Cynthia Irvio is really the person that the audience kind of gets behind. Um, John Hamm is great. Dakota Johnson, who I had never seen in anything because I never saw the Fifty Shades movies. I actually really liked her in this. I thought she was really, really good. Chris Hemsworth has a small role, but it's very memorable. Um, Lewis Pullman, who you might know from the Stranger sequel. He was in, what else was he in? I know he's in something else that I recognized him from. He's really good. Um, Nick Offerman is a small role. Um, who else? There's maybe one or two others that pop up there that you might recognize. But it's just, everyone does their job. It's very Tarantino-esque in the way they tell the story from different people's perspectives. And then it all kind of interweaves into one. Um, I really liked it. I'm not going to spoil any plot points or anything. But just go check it out, I think. Um a lot of y'all will really like it. So, Bad Times with El Royale, number 28. Alright, my number 27 is a movie that a lot of people had at the top of their lists, or towards the top, for best of 2018. And that is 8th Grade. Uh, Bo Burham directs, Elsie Fisher stars. Bo Burham, I've been, I wouldn't call myself a fan, but I've seen some of his stuff and I've really liked it and enjoyed it. I think he's a talented uh, comedian, talented musician, and, and clearly a talented director. Um, Elsie Fisher was, you know, plucked out of obscurity, and I think she does an awesome job in here. Although she is essentially playing who she is, and which is kind of an awkward eighth grader. Um, so I'm not going to give her all the credit in the world, but I think she does a very good job. Anywho, um, follows the story of a young girl in eighth grade trying to just figure life out as any of us are around that time. A lot of the stuff really hit close to home for me. And that's saying something because I was probably not going through the same sorts of things as, um, Elsie Fisher's character was, you know, just being a dude and having a decent, you know, friendship, uh, foundation. I wouldn't say I had a lot of friends in eighth grade. I actually was kind of transitioning from like my elementary school friends to the friends that I would eventually have in high school. Um, it was an awkward time and I was, you know, wearing different kinds of clothes and trying to find my sort of group and figure out where I fit in in the world, um, which continued throughout high school for sure. You're definitely not a completed product going into high school by any means. I actually probably wasn't a finished product till I was about, you know, 21, 22, maybe even later than that, maybe 23. Um, but maybe I'm not even a finished product now. Who knows? I guess you're always trying to, you know further yourself but that's a side topic for another podcast 
anyway, I think they do a really good job of just sort of showing you how awkward and bizarre that time in your life is, no matter if you're a guy or a girl, if you're a kid of this time or not, because there is definitely some things that are, you know, sort of 2018 problems, if you will, stuff like social media and texting and phones and all that, which wasn't really around when I was in eighth grade. It was, but you know, in its very infant stages, um, it was something that not a lot of kids had. So in that department, that's probably why I didn't connect with it as much as some other people. It just, um, there are some really cringy moments to me, but I think it is a very well-made film and I felt like it definitely needed to be recognized somewhere on the upper part of the list. So that's why it comes in at number 27. My number 26 is right before we get into the top 25, the last one that didn't make that cut is a movie that I'm sure not a lot of people saw, and it was called Colette, um, starring Kira Knightley, who I'm also kind of in love with, and Dominic West takes place in Paris. Dominic West is like a well-known author, and he ends up marrying um, Colette, Kira Knightley's character, who was sort of like a farm girl. You know, she lives with her family out in the, you know, the the French um, French. I don't know. Uh, uh, fields, I don't know what the hell you call it, the plains of France, I don't know, but she's a simple girl, her parents end up setting her up with this guy, they actually are kind of together before the parents even realize it, they're sort of sneaking off together, his uh, his author name is Willie, I forget like what his real name is, but that's the sort of moniker, and anyway, they move to the big city, he runs like a sort of uh, publishing firm, I guess you would call it, has other writers working for him, you know, trying to make the big, the next big selling uh, novel. And eventually he takes Colette's work, like her old stories from when she was a kid. And then she kind of makes it into a little bit of a story and he really likes it. And it was like, all right, turn this into a full story. They do. It becomes a huge national hit and ends up like really changing his career he ends up sort of like becoming this big success, you know, hobnobbing with the, the upper class, ends up cheating on her, and she kind of flirts with being a lesbian for a while. It it takes a lot of turns, and it's a really compelling, apparently mostly true story. Um, the only really issue I have with it is everyone's British, and yet it takes place in France. There's a lot of great French actors and actresses. Um, I don't really know why you couldn't cast more of them. But, okay, fine. Like, it actually took me a little while into the movie to I realized, like, oh, they're in Paris. This isn't London. Yet all of them have British accents. It's kind of weird. Weird choice. But after I got over that, it's a really interesting, compelling story. It takes a lot of interesting twists and turns. And I think uh, Keira Knightley and Dominic West, both, Dominic West both actually, like, crush it. Um, they're both great. It's a, you know, it's a quiet movie. It's a very pretty looking movie once again the costumes similar to mary queen of scots they really capture the time period with the costumes with the music with the cinematography um and it's just a, a really well told story again if you're into the the history biopic type of stuff the slower moving stories um i think you'd really be into this especially for the for the ladies out there because i think it really does tell a compelling sort of female empowerment story. Um, so if you're not aware of that story, I think the movie is definitely worth checking out. So Colette comes in at number 26. 
All right, my number 25. We are into the top 25, folks. We've only been here for about almost an hour, and we have half a fucking list to go. This should be fun. Definitely not doing a second podcast after this. Let's get into it. Number 25 is A Simple Favor. Um, Again, I think I did like a partial review on another podcast, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Go check out the old podcast, but um, Henry Golding, Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively, all crush it. It's a pretty much a three-person cast for the most part. The kids are there. There's some detectives and some other, you know, side characters. Um, but I think them alone, those three, and Paul Feig's direction, storytelling, the music, the twists, the dark comedy that is involved in this makes for, like, one of my, like, even though it only comes in at 25, it just has, like, a personal place in my heart because it's not going to be, a, it wasn't a huge success. It flew under the radar. It didn't make a lot of money. It didn't get a lot of people talking. Didn't get a lot of people's attention, but everything in it is exceptionally well done. And, uh, I recommend it to literally anybody. It's, it's a weird movie because it's like Ben's genres. It bends, you know, into comedy, drama, mystery, uh, all that stuff. So check it out. A simple favor. Number 25. I can't recommend it enough. Number 24 is Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, this is making a lot of people's best of list, and I totally understand it for what it is. I think it's a great movie, but I think it is very unfocused. I think I wish they would have just taken a smaller snippet of the Queen story. Instead, they try to fit literally everything, and they don't focus on any one thing. So it is like the Reader's Digest version of the Queen story. And that's fine. A lot of people like that. It's simple to digest. It's good. It's enjoyable. But I just would have liked a little more meat. Like, I would have liked a little more substance. Um, It's very cotton candy. You know, good tasting, not a lot of substance. So, if you're not into that, if you want more of the real history of Queen, go check out, like, the documentary that was made. I think it's on Netflix still. I really like that. Um, And, you know... I still really enjoyed it because of the music. I think all the performances are great. Rami Malek has a top five performance of the year at the very least, probably top two or three to me. Um, it's worth seeing it for that alone. And if you're just a fan of queen, you like the music, you want to see the, you know, grassroots story, check it out. Uh, it comes at number 24. Number 23 is another under the radar pick. Uh, another film that I would recommend to, fans of genre and that is overlord um it is a bad robot production i don't have the name of the director offhand i'll see if i can find it while i'm talking but not a lot of actors that you would really know um wyatt russell is probably the biggest name who is uh, kurt russell's son which i found out fairly recently which is kind of cool but essentially to sell you guys on it it is uh, directed by Julius Avery, who has uh, not done a whole lot of stuff, but he absolutely kills this. It starts with one of the best opening scenes you're ever going to see. It's a bunch of paratroopers in World War II. They're in the plane. It gets shot down. Dudes are getting gunned down. There's blood. There's gore. It's very gory vi- movie. Like It's definitely got a lot of horror elements, so if you're squeamish, maybe skip it, but... For the fans that are cool with that, flying over, they drop down into German territory. They have to um, 
radio their reinforcements so they can you know move on to their next target or whatever and they end up getting held up in this village i think is it germany no it's france excuse me france which was a big battlefield at the time of course that's where i think um the shores of france is where d-day took place i could be totally wrong i'm not the biggest history guy but it takes place little little town in france turns out that they're the nazis are taking these people from this village and doing experiments on them and it gets into some real wolfenstein if you're a fan of those uh video games some real wolfenstein stuff there's some real freaky horror elements but it all takes place in this world war ii setting it's awesome if you're into sort of horror genre world war ii stuff if you're into the wolfenstein franchise check this movie out i can't really recommend it enough for those people that are into that sort of thing um check it out overlord comes at number 23 i'm not going to spoil it too much but cast is great story's great visually it's crazy um it, it wasn't what i expected but it was almost better than what i expected so peep it that is my number 23 my number two is another Oscar contender, and that is The Favorite. Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot. However, there are some elements that just didn't hit with me. That's why it's not in my top 10 to 15. You can't argue with the level of filmmaking. You can't argue with the level of writing, which is exceptional. Um, you can't argue with the costumes. You can't argue with the performance. But... The pace, I think, is really off. I think there's some real slow moments where you could almost trim everything and it just doesn't really um, take away from the story. I think there are some, um, just some moments that are kind of unnecessary. Like, all right, we get it. This happens. Can we just move forward? Instead, I feel like it's just moving horizontally, like, there's no forward progress for a good chunk of the movie. Um, and it's a compelling story. It just really falls apart at times. And like, okay, can we just get the, the wheels moving again? Just take some real elongated pauses. Um, it takes some really weird turns that you're not going to expect as an audience if you haven't seen it yet. Um, Olivia Coleman is amazing as the queen. I think she has some really like funny, goofy moments, but ones that are also very endearing. And she really drives the movie, even though it's more of a Emma Stone. Um, Emma Stone's probably the lead, I would say. But Olivia Coleman is uh, the heart and soul of the movie. I don't think it works without her. Um, Rachel Wise is great. Nicholas Holt is really good. I really enjoyed it. I really appreciated what it was trying to say. The ending is also very abstract and didn't uh, didn't hit with me as well. And it didn't hit with a lot of people. So that's why it comes in number 22, just because the quality is so high. It just wasn't, wasn't really for me. So I have to appreciate it and give it the accolades. But I, I'm not going to watch this as much as something like a Blockers or a Bad Times with El Royale or a... Even a Sicario Day of the Soldado, like some of these other movies that are lower on my list, don't have the rewatchability of something like this, but I, I just have to have it up there um, for the appreciation alone. My number 21 is another fairly late addition to the list, and that is Mary Poppins Returns. 
I really wanted to see this. It just, like, timing-wise, there's just a million movies out. It just kind of got kicked to the back burner continuously. And I'm like, I'll see it. I'll see it. Not to mention, I hate seeing movies with a lot of people in it. It's just a weird OCD thing. So I wanted to wait until the crowds died down a bit. I wanted to wait until the kids went back to school. <laughs> so uh, I waited that one out for a while. So I eventually got to see it. And I really, really enjoyed it. I, I was hoping that there would be some more nods to the original. It does have a you know fairly big part of the uh, continuation of that story. But I would have liked to see like one or two of the songs be remade for a new audience. Because I think the songs are so iconic. And I would have liked just maybe an updated version or, of one or two of them. Um, there's a few that are just classics. And I would have liked modern takes. And just you know, spread out to a more modern audience. Um, Emily Blunt is fantastic. I think she is the embodiment of this character. I, I can't imagine anyone doing a better job than her. And I think she just took the, you know, it's an iconic character. Like this is a historic character in film. And she just went ahead and did a perfect reimagining, a perfect continuation of what Julie Andrews did back in the day. So kudos to her. She carries the movie. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda is charming. Um, I think some of his songs and some of the times where he's trying to do the accent are a little, eh, a little like a little meh, but I think he's, he's very good in his role. Um, the kids are really charming and good and compelling. I think both of the, the, um, their father who is played by, uh, Ben Wishaw and Emily Mortimer, who I've seen pop up in things and have both enjoyed in their small roles and whatever I've seen them in. I've definitely seen them in stuff. Um, they do a really good job of playing like the sort of parents role, even though they're brother and sister, you know what I mean? And the, the ending I think is great. Um, overall, just a lot of fun. It made me, I was smiling the entire time. I, I just couldn't help myself. I know I'm a dark hearted, soulless person. But I couldn't help myself and enjoy the hell out of this. So it comes in at number 21. My number 20 is a, um, a movie that I was relatively excited about going into the year. But it just didn't, wasn't totally on my radar um, for whatever reason. And that's Ready Player One. Like I was familiar with the source material. I never read it, but I was aware of it. Um, I knew Spielberg was directing it. I knew it was going to be like this big high budget blockbuster. Um, I like Ty Sheridan. I like a lot of the other people involved tangentially. And I went in this and saw this and I loved it. Like I love the, the real life stuff where they're in the real world and they're interacting and everything else. I think Ty Sheridan is a great lead for this. I think he's a really good young actor. Um, I liked what, they were trying to say about society and everything else subtly, but it was there. And then when they're in the game, I mean, visually it's insane, but it's also just a love letter to everything, not just video game, but everything pop culture. And a lot of people were saying it was just a cheap nostalgia trip, you know, just trying to get as many references as you can into it, as you can to like hook different, you know, audiences, whatever. There is some of that, but I think it's just at the end of the day, it's just showing the appreciation, um, the writers and Spielberg just showing for everything that has been built. And it's like just a sort of 
a look back time machine and just, you know, trying to tell people that even though you want to live in these escapist fantasy worlds, at the end of the day, the real world is still there and you still have to, you know, grow and, and make changes in your own life. You can't just, you know, live in these little bubbles. So I really liked it. Um, I'm going to go back and revisit it. I bought it like as soon as it came out. I am really looking forward to having this in my collection and checking it out over the years. And I think it actually might climb higher in terms of my favorite movies of this year going forward. So it comes in at number 20, makes the top 20. Ready Player One is that one. All right, my number 19 is another one that really caught me by surprise, and that was Bumblebee. Um, had no expectations for this whatsoever until the reviews started coming out. And people that I really respected and liked um, and and watched the reviews and, and take their, their opinions on movies very seriously saw this like uh, Harloff and Roca and Perry and all these other people in the, you know, Collider Schmoes family and said how much they liked it. And I was like, all right, uh, I mean, I guess I'll check it out because I love Transformers as a kid um, going back to the eighties cartoon that used to, you know, be on at random times in my youth going to the uh, beast wars, Transformers, Armada, all these other cartoons as I was, you know, getting older. Um, the tr first Transformers movie I actually do like. I'll check it out if it's on TV whenever it's on. The second one I thought was atrocious. I thought it was just a, a slap in the face. And then I literally had not seen one. The other like eight that came out after that hadn't seen them. No interest. Because that second one killed me so bad. Um, it went from being like an ode and a tribute to that series to just a, a pile of crap. And it just progressively kept getting worse from everything that I heard. So wasn't interested, didn't see any of them, and was was just done with Transformers as a as a thing. Like, all right, I got enough things that I like and I care about. This is done. This is over. So then this movie comes out, gets all these great reviews. I check it out, and it is the best Transformers movie hands down. The first ten minutes, one of the best ten minutes of film I'm ever gonna watch. It was that good. Um, the stuff on Cybertron, the Transformers running around, Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, all these other Transformers doing their thing um, was just incredible. Like, I wish the whole movie was that. But then it gets to the Earth stuff, and Haley Steinfeld just crushes. Like, once again, I was always very neutral on her. Pitch Perfect 2 and 3 was really my only exposure to her, and she was fine. Um, but I didn't really have that big opinion. I'm, like, in love with her now. She did an awesome job. Carries this whole movie. Her interactions with Bumblebee, their relationship growing up, her sort of um, being like the outcast, even in her own family, I thought was really interesting because at times I've, I've felt like that as well. It, it's just, uh, it's an awesome movie. And for the people that are, you know, alienated, for lack of a better term, no pun intended, by the Transformers franchise, by the marketing, um, being a Bumblebee-focused movie, you know, thinking maybe it's for kids, whatever. Trust me. Check it out. I think you'll like it. So, Bumblebee comes in at number 19. Big time surprise for me. Number 18, my lucky number. That is Halloween. The big remake. It was on my top 10 most anticipated list. Did not disappoint whatsoever. Um, I always had a soft spot in my heart for the original Halloween and this just um, 
really pays an ode to it. I think there are some parts that are unnecessary, like the whole podcaster thing. Those two people, those two characters felt like they were just in there to die, which is exactly what they were for. Spoiler alert. But it, um, when, when it starts focusing in on the Strodes and their relationship with Jason, what it's done to their family, what it is going to do in the, you know, even later in the film, um, is great. I think it is a perfect continuation of the first film. It has those sort of vibes. Just, you know, the kids walking down the street with the pumpkins and the leaves. And it feels like we're in that same universe. It feels like we're back in the town again. Um, so I, I loved it for that. I think the kills were right there in line with what Jason, or Jason, with, um, with what Michael would do. And overall, just Love the crap out of it. Looking forward to, you know, adding it into my rotation of Halloween movies every year. My number 17 is Tully. Um, that is a movie starring Charlize Theron, if you were not aware of it. And it is a, um, a film that definitely takes an interesting turn towards the later third of the movie. You think you're watching one thing, and there are definitely some questionable parts about it. Next thing you know, it um, becomes a real, real interesting, different kind of movie. And I loved it. Just Charlize Theron and Mackenzie Davis, I think, carry this movie. And their performances, their interactions, their relationship that builds is um, worth watching it just alone for me. I really like what they did with it. Um, and really, you know, it's about them for me. You know, I, I don't even remember every aspect of the storyline, every detail about the other characters, the other actors, whatever. It's just about them and how the relationship builds their performances, how endearing they are off screen, on screen. I mean, um, coming off the screen on screen. Um, <laughs> so that comes in number 17. I don't really know what else to say other than that. If you're into, um, I don't know. I don't really know how I'd characterize it because there are some comedy elements. There are some drama elements. If you're just into good movies, you know, check it out. It's a definitely a smaller movie. It's definitely a, um, it's more endearing. I think it's definitely not going to blow your socks off in terms of like crazy action or laugh out loud funny, but it's just a quality, well-made film and one that I think I'm going to revisit fairly often. Um, just for those two alone. And I, I love the crap out of both of them. All right. My number 16 is a film called first man, which was a divisive film. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting it to be a front runner for a lot of Oscars and stuff. Um, it being, uh, directed by the same guy that did La La Land and whiplash, whose name I'm once again, blanking on, I'm doing this without a lot of notes. So, um, we'll just roll with it. Anyway, it um, stars Ryan Gosling, Claire Foy, a lot of other actors you'd uh, you'd know and love. But I think it was a really compelling story, and it's a story that I wasn't really familiar with. Like, obviously, I know Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Land on the Moon, One Small Step for Man, all that stuff. I, I already knew that part. And I think that's what a lot of people wanted. I think they wanted more of the moon stuff and just more of that journey. And it's really the journey of Neil Armstrong, the guy. And I didn't realize what he had gone through in his life in terms of, 
losing friends, um, losing family, losing a daughter, all that stuff. And what got him to the point where he was going to the moon? Like it sort of reminded me of Bradley Cooper's character in American Sniper, where it's like all this other stuff happens around him. And he's just like, so focused on the ultimate goal, which is, you know, in, in his case was just being the best soldier he could be. And in this it's, you know, Neil Armstrong being the best astronaut he could be. Um, and I think he just does a great job. And by the end of it, he's just like a shell of a person and accomplishing his goal, I think was the only thing really keeping him going um, through all this other, you know, tragedy and craziness and his life kind of falling apart around him. And then I think once he had achieved that goal, he sort of became the ambassador that sort of, we all knew, you know, growing up and watching him do like, you know, speeches and all this other stuff. So I just didn't know all that stuff. And I was really compelled by the story that they told. And I think visually it's stunning. I think it's, um, the music is, is great. I saw it in IMAX, which was also kind of a, bo- a bonus. I think Claire Foy steals the show. I really loved her performance. I think she crushes it. I think she kind of carries the movie at times because Neil Armstrong is such a, or a, and Ryan Gosling in this case, such like an emotionless sort of robot. And she has to be the emotional anchor. Um, and just the way she says words at times where like her, her lip is, is quivering or she just shoots him a glance or, you know, um, just can say things with her eyes. Like she is stellar. And I was shocked that she was snubbed by the Oscars. I really was. Um, so check it out. If you haven't done so it's, it's divisive. Like I said, some people love it. Some people don't. I was one that definitely really enjoyed it didn't um, crack the top 10, but it's, it's right there. Number 16, number 15 is a movie that has still stuck with me. And that is uh, mid nineties, which directed by Jonah Hill. It was his directorial debut. It takes place of course, in the nineties. Um, it's a story about a young kid, uh, probably, you know, 11, 12, maybe younger. So he's like the younger brother of uh, Lucas Hedges' character, who's he's kind of like a typical punk 15 to 16-year-old, maybe older, um, who listens to hip-hop. He's a white kid, listens to hip-hop, um, plays video games, you know, has the, the you know posters on his wall and all the cool T-shirts and sneakers and all this other stuff. And his brother looks up to him, which was, that really hit me close to home because... I'm the oldest. Um, I was never a punk like that, but at least I don't think so. And uh, my brother all the time was trying to, you know, be like me subtly and steal my stuff and, you know, all that stuff. So that relationship and especially like the way it turns violent at times was uh, definitely hit me close to home. But just the story in general, like the story of a single mom who's still trying to get out there. Um, my mom was never really like that, but my dad was like that where he's like still trying to date and there's like random people showing up at the house and you're like still a kid trying to figure out what you're trying to do. And you know, you're, um, hanging with kids that maybe you shouldn't be hanging with and all this other stuff. I mean, I was, I was always pretty smart with my friends group, but my brothers weren't, 
Um, so I saw a lot of that in Sonny, who's like the main uh, kid, Sonny Soljic. Soljic. He plays Stevie, who's the lead. Um, their mother is Catherine Waterston, who was in the Fantastic Beast movies and Alien Covenant. Um, so you know her. She plays the mother. I think she's she's great in the few scenes she's in. I think they needed sort of an emotional, um, emotional loving mother, but also one that's kind of turns a blind eye a lot of times. And the the kids that Sonny surrounds himself with, um, Stevie, I should say. Sonny's the actor. Stevie's the kid. Stevie surrounds himself with like I knew kids like that and um just the skateboarding and some of the crazy stuff they get into it's definitely cringy at times but it's also like just kind of silly and funny and the the serious nature of it all the the way it ends I love and you know you think it's it's gonna be one thing and it ends up being that thing but luckily uh it doesn't end like the worst way it could and um, I love the final scene, and I just think uh, it's worth checking out. You know, it's it's emotional. It's some got some comedy, a lot of drama, but I think it's just a really well made film. And I got to give kudos to Jonah Hill for putting that together. So that comes in at number fifteen. My number fourteen is Vice, um, the Adam McKay directed Christian Bale starring story of Dick Cheney. And I'm not the biggest political guy. I'm actually probably the furthest thing from a political guy. So I knew generally some of this stuff. Obviously, they knew the story of him like shooting his friend in the face and all that while hunting. And how they address that in the film is hilarious. It's actually like subtly a hilarious movie. Um, Adam McKay, who comes from you know doing a lot of comedy directing, um, who has switched over you know fairly recently in his career with The Big Short and now this where he still works comedy in and does it, I think, beautifully. Um, this movie definitely has an agenda. It's definitely telling one side of the story, but that one side of the story is just insane. And um, I think, you know, the script is fantastic. The way it's all put together, where it's in, like, very bite-sized little chunks and everything is very digestible, even for someone that's not a big political guy. And there are there is some, like, political jargon that makes it a little difficult to follow at times, but... Um, you know, for someone like me, I shouldn't say for the average person, but for someone like me and, uh, just Christian Bale is just incredible. Um, Amy Adams is great. Pretty much all the actors that they cast in these roles, you know, like Tyler Perry is Colin Powell, who's just in a few scenes, but he's like, he is Colin Powell. It's, it's amazing. Steve Carell as Rumsfeld is, is amazing. Sam Rockwell as George Bush is so good. I don't think he's quite Oscar worthy, but I think he's he's really really good. Um, Jesse Plemons as the sort of narrator, I think, also does a really good job. Really underrated performance, and he's only like he's narrating it. It, it was a weird choice, but the way they interweave that, I think, was was great. Um, so yeah, it if you're into the political stuff, even if you're not, I just think as a fan of film I think you owe it to yourself to see this just to experience it because it's it's really unlike anything I saw this year and uh, cracks the top 15 so Vice comes in at 14 number 13 is a movie I referenced earlier and that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse um, was one of my most anticipated of the year 
and did anything but disappoint. If anything, it superseded my expectations. Just the way that it was literally a comic book come to life. Um, the voice acting is amazing. The pace is great. The way they interweave all these connective, um, all the connective tissue of Spider-Man and all the different little aspects of his character, the way they sort of mock other Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man comics, Spider-Man shows, references. It takes itself very tongue-in-cheek, not very seriously, but at the same time, it's a very serious story about like just like finding your place in the world and you know not being what people want you to be and, and branching out on your own and, and just you know figuring life out at your own pace um, not everything is is what it seems the guy that you think is your hero might actually be the opposite of your hero the guy that you've always kind of um, looked past might actually be the one that you should really look to as inspiration there's just so many layers to it the father-son stuff the, the connections between all the the Spider-Men, if you will, the Spider-People, I think is great. Um, you really like start really feeling for these characters. It's hilarious. There's a lot of funny moments. The action is insane. The like the art is insane. It was really fighting for that number ten spot. Like the number ten spot on my list was really the one that was flipping back and forth. Like the nine were all pretty set in various orders. But that 10 spot, there was like three or four different movies fighting for it. And uh, it was one of them. But it cracks in at number 13. Still a good number. Still a fantastic film. I can't wait to uh, watch it again, to be honest. My number 12 is a bit of a departure from that. And that is uh, a documentary. The only documentary on my list. And that is Won't You Be My Neighbor. Now, I wasn't like the biggest mr rogers guy when i was a kid but he was definitely involved in my childhood i definitely remember watching mr rogers um i definitely remember the puppets and the characters and the songs and all that stuff so he was uh familiar to me but not my favorite show by any means though the story that they told and all the stuff i didn't know about him as a guy and what made him become who he was and the journey he took and the things that he did away from the screen was just really fascinating and heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. Um, my voice isn't cracking cause I'm emotional. It's cause I've been talking for like half an hour, an hour and a half. Excuse me. See my brain's not even clicking on all cylinders. Um, it's been a while since I talked this long, so excuse my voice, but anywho, I literally almost cried at the end when they're talking about his death because after seeing all the things that he accomplished, all the things that he progressed in terms of television, in terms of inclusion, in terms of putting things on TV that weren't done before, um, and what he did to children, like the way he touched so many generations of kids, how long he was actually on television. Like, you know, he was much older when I was watching him in the early 90s. But his show was going on from, I think, the like the 70s on. I mean, he was a fixture on television for that long. And not one person could say something negative. And even the people that did had their mind changed as soon as he started talking and preaching, you know, his philosophies. Um and all the interviews that they did are great with all these people. They pretty much, you know, hit every 
different perspective you could hit. Um, guys that you know didn't really know him as well personally, but know him from a historical perspective. Different people that interacted with him on the TV set, whether it's cameramen, producers, directors, the cast, his own family. Um, it's just a really well put together documentary. It's very digestible. I'm not even like the biggest documentary guy. I like them when they're well done. I like them when they're topics that I am interested in. And, um, this one just hooked me and I, I honestly couldn't get it out of my mind for the longest time. Totally co-sign with it on anybody that is, uh, has it up there on their favorite list of films and it cracks my top 12. So number 12, won't you be my neighbor? And the final choice of the uh, non-top 10, and that is my number 11, which is a film called Love, Simon. Now, this is not a movie that would normally be even on my radar, let alone as high on this list. But I was hearing good things about it. I like Greg Perlanti, obviously, from his work on the CW with the Arrow Flash shows, which I've fallen off on, but I still really enjoy. Um, I really like the cast. I think the the four leads, the four actors that they have in there, um, I knew from various things, but I thought they were all good. So I was like, all right, I'll check it out. I saw it actually on a date, and uh, that we don't really need to mention anything about that relationship that went forward. Um, but the movie itself, I actually really, really enjoyed and it was very surprising how long it stuck with me. Like whenever people would talk about their best movies of the year, most underrated movies of the year, it was always somewhere on that list for me. When I started really, you know, getting down to it and saw more movies, it slipped a little bit, but it was always in that conversation. Um, I thought it was beautifully directed, perfectly paced. It was a story that I think really needed to be told in 2018. I'm glad it got as much love as it did. I think um, the cast is fantastic, going back to that. Nick Robinson as the lead. Um, his parents, Jennifer Garner and Josh Duhamel, who have very inconsistent performances in their work, um, I thought were excellent, extremely well cast in this. Um, Catherine Langford, who plays one of his friends, who's great. Alexander Ship plays another one. Um, Keenan Lonsdale, who you know from Flash, ends up playing a pretty key role. Not going to sort of ruin his ultimate role, but he plays a pretty big role. Um, Logan Miller, who plays like the dweeby friend, who ends up like kind of um, blackmailing Simon at one point. And then you got uh, Jorge Lendeborg Jr., who is in Bumblebee, who plays another one of their friends. So it's like, even though you might not know some of those names, trust me, they all do amazing jobs. And, um, I just think it's a, it's a great story. So if you're into like romantic comedies, this is a different kind of romantic comedy. Obviously it takes place like in uh, high school. So you're going to get a lot of vibes from that. Um, it's just a really compelling, I, I've used that word way too much too, but when you talk for an hour and a half, you honestly run out of vocabulary words. Um, it's just uh, a really well-told, funny, heartwarming story that I think anybody could really enjoy. And I'm not like Mr. Gay Rights, Mr. Like All Power to All People. I am, but it's like not 
I'm not standing up on the pedestal and like really, you know, preaching these philosophies, you know, I'm pretty go with the flow. I'm pretty everyone. I, you know, want everyone to be happy type of guy. Um, I don't discriminate. I just, you know, that's fine. If you are that way, just not my thing. Like I don't really have deep thoughts on any of that stuff. I, you know, don't really judge. I try not to judge people for their skin color, sexual preference, whatever. I just, you know, if you're an asshole, I'm going to judge you for being an asshole. But in terms of like the things that you can't control, whatever, then, you know, we're all people at the end of the day. That's me as a guy. So um, this isn't like me using this movie to, you know, preach my personal ideals. Trust me, it's not the case. Anyone that really knows me and would know that I put at number 11 a story about a gay guy you know, reaching out and, and having secret messages to another gay guy and trying to figure out who that person is in their school and this romantic love story between two high school gay guys. You really think that that's going to be one of my favorite movies? But guess what? It was. That's how good it was. So check it out. Number 11 is Love, Simon. All right, here we are, folks, the top 10. Now, I did this list on After 10 when we talked about our favorite movies of 2018. So this isn't a brand new list for all of you, but it will be for some. So I will give my abbreviated versions because if you want to hear me really uh, dive into it, I probably went on for about 10 minutes on after 10 about these. So uh, I'm going to run it down, but I'm not going to go too, too deep because my voice is almost shot. Number 10 is another romantic comedy, and that is Crazy Rich Asians. Um, Just another similar to Love, Simon. Extremely well cast. Well-directed, well-written, funny, engaging, well-paced. Um, introduced me to a lot of new actors and actresses that I wasn't really familiar with, but I'm now huge fans of, like Constance Wu, Henry Golding, Gemma Chan, um, Aquafina. I was always already sort of familiar with, but she's really good in it, really funny. Um, a lot of actors that you might have known pop up in different things. Michelle Yeoh, fantastic. Um it's just a, a perspective that you're not going to hear that much from. And the fact that we got a successful, big-time Hollywood, awesome movie from that perspective, I think, is really um, admirable. And it's one that, once again, like Love, Simon, just kind of stuck with me and still sticks with me. Like, I will probably buy it at some point. I haven't done it already because, you know, tight on funds right now. But it's great. Check it out if you haven't done so. If you just want, like, if you just have a quiet night at home in your PJs, you want to watch a movie that's going to make you smile, Crazy Rich Asians is that movie. Number nine is uh, different, <laughs> I would say, in a lot of ways, and that is A Quiet Place. Now, for those that know me, no, I'm not a big horror guy, but I saw this uh, with a good friend of mine, and we were both freaking out at a lot of parts, but... It's just so well done. Um, the sound design, every sound in that movie is so valuable because of it's just lacking. It's lacking it. So it's like anything else. You know, you don't um, have Wendy's for a long time. When you eventually go to Wendy's, that you know burger is going to be pretty damn delicious because you're just not having it that often. If you were to have it every week, it's just going to taste like you know, anything else. So with anything, I think it's a valuable lesson that, um, 
you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? So the absence of sound makes every sound in the movie more important and mean more. And, uh, you know, they all explain why they don't make sound in the movie. So if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not going to, you know, hit any real plot points. But it's amazing. John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, fantastic. The kids are great. The directing is great. The pacing is great. The monsters are terrifying. There's no real cheap jump scares. There may be one or two, but the scare, the terror is legitimate. Um, it builds well. It uh, The ending is not like cheesy and contrived. It is um, just a real experience, especially in the theater. Like if you missed out on this in the theater, it's, it's still going to be good. But that experience of being in that big surround sound, that, that dark theater was, uh, was just one of the best theatrical experience I had all year. And for that, I had to put it at number nine. Number eight is not exactly my favorite film, but obviously it's at number eight. But it's like my champion of the year. It's the one that I keep telling people to watch because not nearly enough people watched it. And it's just an awesome movie that finally the director and uh, hopefully the star will eventually get credit for it going forward. And that is Upgrade. Upgrade is a action psychological thriller, low budget fucking masterpiece. It's so good. It's dark. It's visually interesting. It's visually compelling. There's that word again. Um, the acting is great. It's a small cast, but a well-executed cast. It's got a good um, heart to it. It's got a good message to it. It's got a crazy ending that's going to get you really thinking. It reminds me very much of... Um, another film that's coming up later on my list where you're leaving the theater and you're like, whoa, like what just happened and what would I do in that particular scenario? So yeah, it's, it's like what Venom should have been, uh, which didn't make the list shockingly. Um, number eight is upgrade. I'm not going to share too much more about it because y'all need to, sh- y'all need to see it. Um, Logan Marshall green, I hope he gets a big job going forward. Maybe like a Marvel DC gig. Lee Winnell's already getting some big, uh, big directing work. So that speaks volumes right there. Uh, upgrade. Check it out. Number eight. Number eight. Number seven is a very controversial film. And that is A Star is Born. Um, not controversial from the Academy's perspective. Golden Globes perspective. It's been getting a lot of nominations, a lot of love, a lot of uh, critical acclaim when it came out. But a few months later, when more people were seeing it, they're like, I don't get it. This sucks. This is lame. Including my co-host of After 10, Chris. Um, A lot of people I'm seeing are really like down on this movie for whatever reason. It just, it hit for me. I don't know what else to say. Um, I think it's being really underrated what Bradley Cooper did with this movie. Um, it's modernized in all the right ways. Yes, it is a remake of a movie that's been made now like four times. But the way he integrated things and messages about the music business, messages about modern artists, messages about um, recent passings, messages about just like the ascension 
of certain artists. Like it's very layered and I just don't people I like it bothers me to say this because I feel like a snob or maybe I'm just seeing things that aren't there. Like I'm looking at something too hard and seeing things that aren't there. Like I'm making stuff up in my head, but I really think it's the case. And I really think that this movie, like people just aren't getting it kind of like with the last Jedi or black Panther, where there's like backlash to it, whether immediately after or months after, I think this falls in that category. I just think it's, it's real deep. And y'all aren't giving it the proper credit. You're looking at it in a very skin-deep way. And I think, like, the Sam Elliott backlash of saying, oh, he's just playing Sam Elliott. He is, like, an emotional center of the movie. Like, you need that perspective to just put everything into context. Otherwise, everything just looks normal. You need that outside perspective to come in, even if it's for short periods of time, to just, like, you know, um, kind of spell things out for you as an audience. So I loved it. Um, I still think about it all the time and how it connects to my life and people around me or people that I look up to and so on. So star is born comes in at number seven. Black Klansman is my number six. Spike Lee's probably my favorite Spike Lee movie at this point. It's right up there with inside man. Um, I haven't seen everything he's done by any means, probably only five or six, but, um, I loved it. It's got some comedy to it. It's got a real message to it. Um, all the acting is great. It's well paced. It's well told. It's just, um, really, really great. I don't know what else to say about it. Really. I think it's another one that y'all should check out if you haven't done so. Um, especially in 2018, I think there's a lot of movies that really focused on race this past year that I think were really, really important. I didn't get to see all of them. That other one with the young girl who's in the car with the guy and they get gunned down, like the wish you give or something like that, like thoughts you give. I forget what it's called, but I really wanted to see that. I think I heard a lot of good things about it as far as I remember. And uh, a lot of those types of movies are up here on my list that are just focused on, on race relations because it's a big part of our society right now and filmmakers are really keying in on it and really telling us some engaging necessary stories and um they hit with me you know for whatever reason so black Landsman uh comes at number six all right my number five we're getting into the top five folks and that is green book um another one that's gotten backlash mostly for Reasons that I don't think really have to do with the movie itself. Um, like Viggo Mortensen using the N-word in an interview. And the, the context, I think, is important with that. I think he um, was trying to get across just how jarring it was. I'm not trying to defend him because I don't know him, but whatever. Um, I don't really know how that reflects on the movie itself. Also, a lot of people coming out and and saying that the story is inaccurate as to what really happened in real life. Once again, don't really know what that has to do with the movie. Um, I just, I can only judge what I'm seeing on screen, and I had a lot of fun with it. I really did. I thought it was a really engaging story. I thought it was a really heartwarming story. I don't think it's Viggo Mortensen is being portrayed as the white savior, because I think Mahershala Ali teaches him and he teaches him as much as Mahershala Ali gets taught. 
and vice versa. Like it's a, it's a two way street, their relationship, you know, like Viggo Mortensen, his prejudices and his eyes get opened up as to how layered and, and complex a person Marshall Ali is and vice versa. You know, um, Viggo Mortensen, you know, comes across as like a, you know, just a muscle and a, you know, simple minded family guy just trying to make some money with very simple views of the world. And for a lot of instances, he is. But he also cares a lot about other people around him. He also cares cares a lot about, um, you know, what he does for a living. He has a lot of pride and all this other stuff. So they're constantly learning from each other and their relationship continues to build. So I don't think necessarily he's being portrayed as the white savior. Well, I guess I can see why someone would think that just because he bailed him out of jail or like, you know, bailed him out of a fight or whatever doesn't necessarily mean he's saving him. And there's times where Marshall Ali's character is the one taking a stand and Vigo just has to like side with him. He just has to co-sign on whatever he's saying. So Marshall Ali is making the stand. Vigo at some points is just like agreeing with him. So I, I guess I understand it, but at the same time, I just had a lot of fun with it. I think it's really, um, really well acted. Of course, I think I said that already, but I don't know. I just can only judge it for what I'm seeing, and I really liked it. So it is what it is. Uh, that comes in number my number five. My number four is Avengers Infinity War, which I've talked about at nauseum, I'm sure, between the After 10 episode and um, I, did, I did a whole like hour-long episode about it itself, but just the way they were able to balance all those characters, the way they did service to all those characters, the way they did service to Thanos, the way they did service to the Infinity Gauntlet story, yeah, a lot of it's changed, a lot of it's different, but they fit it into their own universe, which they've been building for 10 years and they change things that were necessary to be changed so that it can fit in to this universe and fit in cohesively. And it was the definition of cohesive. The fact that they were able to do all this is just insane. Does it stand on its own? I don't know because I haven't, I didn't go into this not seeing any other movies. So I can't necessarily say that it made a quadrillion dollars. So I'm sure there are some people that didn't, totally understand it but I can only judge it like Green Book for what I can see from my own eyes on screen and I saw it three damn times in the opening weekend so that says it all right there Avengers Infinity War comes in at number four top three we are here folks the top three movies of 2018 let's go trying to keep the energy up number three is Annihilation Directed by my guy Alex Garland, who also did Ex Machina, who also wrote 28 Days Later, and Dread. He is uh, one of my favorite people in Hollywood right now. He is just a, a genius in my mind. The way he looks at sci-fi, the way he looks at just acting, um, people, pacing, the way he looks at like science versus nature and science versus like people and their will and... I just love what he does. I love how his mind works and he made another masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, for those who don't know, it's a biologist played by Natalie Portman. She signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the lies of nature don't apply. Yeah. I'm reading off that 
on IMDb. Um, basically, her husband goes missing. He shows up, and he's just not the same. So she tries to figure out what's causing it. It's getting sucked into this this sort of military operation to try to figure out what this sort of mysterious alien thing is. She follows Jennifer Jason Lee into this bubble thing along with uh, Tessa Thompson and um, who else is on that team? Gina Rodriguez. And they all do an amazing job because they're going into this crazy thing that they don't know what it is. Some of them kind of lose their mind. Some of them go in for one reason and don't end up coming out. Not going to spoil it, but I think Natalie Portman is chilling and heartbreaking and fascinatingly amazing in this film. Um, I really was kind of, I wasn't surprised that she didn't get nominated for anything, but I think she should have. Um, some people are calling her performance robotic. I'm calling it soulless, but in the right way in the way that you would need to play this character in a way that you would need to portray these emotions and a need that you would need to portray these motivations. So I loved it. Um, I thought it fits perfectly with, um, what Alex Garland was trying to say, how genre bending it is because it's adventure, it's drama, it's horror, it's mystery, it's sci-fi, it's thriller. It's just, um, it's insane. You know, it still sticks with me, and I uh, the ending is is crazy. Fits in with what Alex Garland likes to do, keeps people thinking, and that's another thing. You know, like that's another thing he can do is just keeps the audience thinking, and the fact that a director can do that, a writer could do that, and taking something that is in its purest essence an entertainment vehicle, and getting us to really go out there with our brains and really like focus and really consider and debate is, uh, is pretty fascinating. And that's not really what I want from my movies all the time, but he walks that line between entertainment and thought provoking, um, better than I think anybody. And I just love interesting, cool sci-fi. So he does it better than anybody. Number three is annihilation. My number two, uh, just like John Roca, was Black Panther. This I did an entire like full hour on in the TKO movie show. It's one of my highest listened to episodes. So I would encourage all y'all to go check that out if you really want to hear me talk about this. There's just so many different ways you can look at this movie. It's a father-son story. It's a racial story. It's a story about outcasts and what makes you truly a part of something it's a story about um acceptance it's a story about culture and what that means to people and the fact that ryan coogler that's really hard for me to say ryan coogler was able to fit all of that in to a big budget action-packed superhero movie is just phenomenal and it deserved every dollar that it got. I love the visuals. I really don't understand why people, you know, criticize the CGI. You know, dis- dispel disbelief. Like, that's what we're trying to do here, right? We're trying to, you know, enjoy what we're watching. Stop trying to overanalyze everything. Just enjoy it for what it is. Take it in. And um, whether it's the colors, the costumes, you know, some of the technology stuff I think is a little silly, but... 
like I said, you got to dispel some disbelief here. Um, and the casting, unreal. The fact that you're able to unearth people like Letitia Wright and Winston Duke and put them in these great roles along with legends like Forrest Whitaker um, and all these other great actors. It, uh, it was fantastic. I can't speak highly enough of it. It is uh, certainly still in my you know, top three MCU movies or whatever it ended up, you know, where it was at kudos to, to all involved there. Uh, that is my number two. My number one is probably going to surprise people, but for whatever reason, it just, this movie just hit me like a ton of bricks. And that is my number one film of 2018 is blind spotting. So for those that haven't seen it, I a hundred percent recommend going and check it out. It is a story about two friends, one white, one black, grew up together in Oakland. The um, the black character, whose name I'm just blanking on, gets locked up. He comes out of jail and just realizes how much the world around him has changed in a multitude of ways. You know, his neighborhood has changed. His um, culture has changed. There's so much going on with like police brutality, of course, mirroring what's going on in our actual uh, world and our culture. And it just speaks to so many different things, kind of like Black Panther I mentioned. It just is telling so many stories, you know, it's telling stories about um, how race can be sort of transcended, how just because the color of your just because of the color of your skin doesn't mean you have to act a certain way. Doesn't mean you have to be um, put into a certain box and it, it, you know, how friendship can just go above and beyond, you know, uh, even a family member, you know, like the, the value of friendship. It's saying so many things that I can't even list. Like you just have to see it. Um, of course the police brutality stuff is really leaned into just going into all the stuff that's going on in our world. Um, and just, giving it a voice, giving it a level of, of commentary and so on and so forth is just amazingly done. It's not, you know, leaned into so much that it like turns the focus of the movie, but it's in there enough. And, and the, the ending and, and what is being said, the message that's being sent is one that I think everyone needs to see and understand. And then on top of all of that, you get amazing acting, you get amazing casting, a bunch of, actors and actresses that you probably wouldn't expect um, to see these sort of performances from. They're relative unknowns. The two lead actors, um, Rafael Casal, or Rafael Casal, however you pronounce it, and David David Diggs, who were the the two stars of the film, also wrote it. And um, their passion for it, you know, exudes off the screen of what the, the story that they're trying to tell. They have so much chemistry there's laughs and like a lot of laughs. So not on, not only are you getting everything that I mentioned, but you're getting like genuinely funny moments and uh, it's a bit of a, a dark comedy in a way, but there's also just moments that are just genuinely funny. And these two guys are insanely talented and I can't wait to see what else they do. So I highly recommend going to check out my number one film of 2018, which is blind spotting. And there it is. We got through it folks, 50 movies, well over 50 minutes, uh, it was quite the trek, but we got there. The top 50 movies of 2018 here on Oscar week. So that's everything 
that I had to say about those. But let's run through the list real quick. Just a quick recap here at the end. Number 50, Rampage, 49, Aquaman, 48, Alpha, 47, Christopher Robin, 46, Skyscraper, 45, The Meg, 44, Red Sparrow, 43, 12 Strong, 42, Maze Runner, The Death Cure, 41, Solo, A Star Wars Story, 40, Ocean's 8, 39, The Incredibles 2, 38, The Equalizer 2, 37, Game Night, 36, Ant-Man and the Wasp, 35, Sicario, Day of the Soldado, 34, Deadpool 2, 33, Sorry to Bother You, 32, Roma, 31, Blockers, 30, Mary Queen of Scots, 29, Creed 2, 28, Bad Times at El Royale, 27, 8th Grade, 26, Colette, 25, A Simple Favor, 24, Bohemian Rhapsody, 23, Overlord, 22, The Favorite, 21, Mary Poppins Returns, 20, Ready Player One, 19, Bumblebee, 18, Halloween, 17, Tully, 16, First Man, 15, Mid-90s, 14, Vice, 13, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, 12, Won't You Be My Neighbor, 11, Love, Simon, 10, Crazy Rich Asians, 9, A Quiet Place, 8, Upgrade, 7, A Star Is Born, 6, Black Klansman, 5, Green Book, 4, Avengers Infinity War, 3, Annihilation, Number two, Black Panther, and number one is Blind Spotting. So that is my top 50 movies of 2018. It was quite the journey. Thank you, one and all, for listening. This won't be my last podcast for a while. I'm going to hopefully try to keep this a more regular thing, whether it's this show or after 10. I still got to kind of iron down the details as to how that's going to go going forward. Maybe we'll do um, one TKO movie show, and then the next week will be after 10, and so on and so forth. Maybe it'll just be after 10 every week. Not quite sure, but keep it locked to the TKO Productions Network. You'll get some good content coming forward in 2019. How consistent it'll be is up in the air. But follow me on Twitter at TKO Talks, and I'll give you guys the update there, and you can bug me about what you want to see, what you want to hear, etc. So... My name is Tim, a.k.a. TKO, and you've been listening to the TKO Movie Show. Rate, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff, and we will see you guys next time.